Oh, good morning, everyone. Let's uh, turn to our Bible reading. Reading this morning is Isaiah uh, 65, uh, beginning at verse 17. Isaiah 65, verse 17, and I'm reading, reading through to the end. And this section is entitled, New Heavens and a New Earth. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will the days of my people. My chosen one will long to enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. Hi, everyone. Good to be with you. If you're visiting today, welcome, or if you uh, haven't been here for a while, it's good, good to see you. Uh, I'd love to catch up with you after. All right. Now, I took my jacket off because I didn't like speaking in it, but now I regret it. It's cold. But that's all right. Let me pray, and then we're going to think about hope, something that is very worthwhile doing. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for your word. We give you great thanks that in your word, we get to see hope that goes way beyond wanting a guinea pig. Help us today to grab hold of the hope that you give us in Christ. Amen. Well, as we had the question in in, in the video there with the the kids, I'd ask you, what is hope? How do you describe it? And let me say, uh, in the bit where you can write in the outline, I've got... um, Five points, and they'll be up on the screen if you want to write them down as we, as we go through, if that's helpful for you. And keep Revelation, um, Isaiah uh, 65 open in front of you, and I'll travel us around in other passages that will come up on the screen. But let me go back to what is hope? What is it? We can kind of go, yeah, I know it, move on. But when we push further, what does it really mean? And so I, I asked my research team, like the video, I asked uh, the three that... Um, I, I like to get their opinions on. Nast asked Maya three. Uh, the first answer that came back is a new hope from Star Wars. Good answer. But I thought, well, that's not really what hope is, is it? And then, then I heard it's a chance that something can happen. And that's kind of what we heard with the, some of the kids, a chance that something can happen. And then I thought about it and I thought, actually, Star Wars Episode Four is a great example because that's exactly what the first movie of Star Wars was all about. 
The world had no freedom. The whole galaxy had no hope whatsoever. They were being treated so poorly, so badly. But then there was something that happened which meant maybe there's hope that this would stop. That there would be freedom. That the tyranny would be over. Hoping there's a chance that something can happen. Let's start then. What are we going to do today? We're going to progress through and see the levels of hope, if you like, and build upon it. But why is Christmas a good time to hope? We can say, oh, yeah, because Jesus, and we know in the Christian message is hope, but the world, the secular world, still likes the idea of hope at Christmas. Why? It's a time with family. Maybe a time to take a break. After a hectic year, time to celebrate, a time to enjoy this moment and hoping that the future will be better. Maybe there's a chance that the future will be better. And it's kind of a good time to do that at the end of the year when there should be lots of fun, although often it's painful for people. Christmas is a time for hope because it's a time with family and maybe presents will hopefully make life better, as the kids beautifully point out. Although no guinea pig would make my life better. Um, but what I want us to do is I want us to consider real Christian hope today Uh, and even consider why that Christmas is a great time to consider that hope I don't know where you are with God whether you follow him you trust in him or whether you're suspicious of him and the suspicious of the hope that he gives but If you're willing today to come with me, let's think about this hope a little bit further. And as we think about hope, and before we get uh, to the scriptures, my second point today that I wanted to uh, to point out after we ask the question is, hope with a promise is good. You see, it no longer is lotto hope when it comes to the promise, is it? It's no longer... I really would like the idea, a chance of getting more uh, money or winning and fixing everything up. So I'm going to do the lotto, gamble in whatever way and maybe it'll work out when it's so unlikely. A promise changes the ball game. Because without it, there's no, necessarily, there's no basis necessarily for the hope. Like hearing, um, uh, what do you want for Christmas? And hearing a list that goes as long as longer than this talk would be if I gave you the whole list of golf clubs, of a Nintendo Switch, of Mandalorian Lego, of a new soccer ball, of a new cricket kit, and the list goes on and on and on. I'm like, you can hope for that as much as you like. It ain't going to happen because there's no promise and it's not going to happen. I could still hope to play Test cricket for Australia. And as good as I would like to think I once won, it was, even though I wasn't, it ain't going to happen. Some people say, this hope that Christians talk about, it's, it's a crutch. Because they want things to be better, and Christianity, or even other religions, give you something to hold on to when there isn't any. So that's why you, you take the hope. But when there is a promise, it becomes more real. Now, here's the next thing. Especially 
if it's from a good source. By no stretch as a parent would I say I've kept every one of my promises, but all your parents out there, you would like to think you try your very best to keep your promises, right? Yes? There should be a lot more nodding than that, right? We like to keep our promises. Good. (laughs) Maybe we need to talk about promise keeping. We'll move on. Um, But we try and keep our promises, but we don't always do it. And that's always true, you know, Kids love to point out injustice or perceived injustice. So if you say something's going to happen and then, you know, you get caught in a meeting or whatever and it doesn't happen, but you promised! Has that ever been yelled at you and you haven't kept it the way you wanted and it was just because you couldn't? Because promises are valued and when it's because it's hope of something more, they like to be kept. And there's the blurry lines between promise and bribing as a parent. You do that, I'll do this. But I think that's appropriate because we're teaching them that I'll keep a promise. A confidence that because you've said this and I trust in you, I can hope that it's going to happen with more than lotto hope. Okay, we haven't even got to the Bible yet. We've just said a a kind of a big uh, lead up today, haven't we? But now, the third point... Hope with a promise that's from God is even better. Why? Because of the character of God, he is a 100% promise keeper. If we know God and we know his character, we read the scriptures, we we, uh, delve into them from beginning to end, we will see a loving, consistent, 100% promise-keeping God. Let me highlight this a little bit for you, some passages to, to, to point this out. You see, in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage the, the people he's writing to, to persevere, and so he takes them all the way back to Abraham, and that God made promises to Abraham, and he keeps them. And so we read in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, it comes up on the screen, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. God's promise. It's going to be kept, see? Saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. And as we read through the scriptures, we see these promises being fulfilled time and time and time again. The only promises God has not kept in uh, the scriptures are the ones that are going to yet be fulfilled. It's not their time to be fulfilled yet. We see in how God treated his people Israel in slavery. Have a look with me in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7. Then the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to you your ancestors, that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God keeps his promises not because you're a legend, he tells his people. He, te- he keeps his promises because he made a promise. He promised to bring them out of slavery and he does. God is God in verse 9. He is a faithful God. He's keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his promises. Look at verse 9 there. Know therefore that the Lord your God 
is God. He is a faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. If you've never really investigated whether God's trustworthy or not, or ever investigated whether the scriptures are reliable, I challenge you to do that, to see how consistent and loving and faithful God is. It's mind-blowing when you read how all the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament and how, uh, for example, we've just done Luke, if you've been here, and all the fulfilment of all the promises of Isaiah and all the prophets and everything that's happening being fulfilled in Jesus and where he heads to go. It is astounding. And then as we get to the birth of Jesus, remember when Mary uh, sings a song of praise to God because she is carrying the Messiah. And in that song at the end, she says in Luke chapter 1, verse 54, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he has promised our ancestors. The same God keeping his promises. If the sun does come out today after some rain, we might get a rainbow. What are the rainbows other than, you know, we can figure out how scientifically it happened. But they reminding us of the promises of God to know that he'd never wipe the world out again and that he always keeps his covenant promises. He is a God that if we have hope of a promise he gives, it's a better hope because it's guaranteed. Do you think that's what God's like? I want to challenge you today to think that way about him, to remind yourself about that. So as we build on this idea of hope, as we get to our fourth idea, hope with a promise that's from God about eternity is incomparable. It's the best, if you like. If you go good, better, best. It is by far and away... It just it can't be compared to any other good hope that you have. And God's people often found themselves hoping for a better time, didn't they? Uh, in Psalm 137, that famous song by the rivers of Babylon where God's people in exile, crying out for what they've lost and hoping they'll be back and thinking they're not going to get Jerusalem back as they are out of the promises that God gave Abraham of a land and an offspring and blessing and all of it, and yet it's gone. Have a look at Psalm 137. See the crying out when hope of something more is, is just... It's, you feel, feel it in, in, in the way these words are come out. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, so there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Can you feel when there's no hope, when you lost what you were hoping in and you're wanting it back? 
we can all look back at something that was better and wish we could have that back or that that would be better again or even beyond it. We could all do that, couldn't we? Something's probably popped into your head right now that you would love. But God doesn't leave them by the rivers despite the fact that they're there ultimately because of their sin and rebellion. We, we see God makes promises and he fulfills them and those promises actually have bigger promises. That's what our reading we saw today in Isaiah 65, I think, is about. Isaiah and the suffering servant that's in this section that's pointed out uh, and, and the whole promise of, of a new heavens and a new earth is pointing to a hope of a much brighter future. If you've got it in front of you, we can see how this hoping of something that they're in and that they wish they didn't have is being promised. Like in verse 19, the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. So here's the thing about this hope. Hope for the future, God did something amazing. He didn't just give them their national hope back. He didn't just give Israel the hope that you will get back to Jerusalem and it will be great that that happens. It's not as good, really. Because the hope goes beyond a national pride a national hope of Israel to something bigger. That as they've revealed God, the nations are called in and we see in Isaiah 65 an allusion to a promise that blows everything out of the water. In verse 17, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. You're crying out for Jerusalem. I have a better new Jerusalem, a new heavens and a new earth. I will rejoice over Jerusalem in verse 19 and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Verse 20, never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. Do any of these words sound familiar? The promise that goes into eternity, a heavens and a new earth, be glad and rejoice for a little while or be glad and rejoice forever. Pain and suffering are the old way. Never again in verse 20. And then skip down to verse 25, see this idea, uh, this imagery brings out anything for you. The wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, says the Lord. There's a picture of the end 
Like in Revelation, in the book of Revelation, we see this promise of the eternal future with God being portrayed to us. Like in Revelation 21, which I don't have on the screen, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Isaiah 65, a new heavens and a new earth. The promise is for an eternal future. And in this new heavens and a new earth, what's described? Verse 4 of chapter 21, He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's great. But what's even better about that hope is the fact that you're with God forever. Verse 3, he says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. So when you hope for something that is less than eternal, you're selling yourself short. God, who wants us to hope in the promises that he gives, who he always keeps, is saying, I have a hope for you that goes into all eternity. Why do we only hope in the temporary? Sometimes the temporary things are good. I love my football team, Liverpool. The hope of 30 years of never winning. If you don't care about this, that's all right, you're going to put up with it because we are on the brink of something massive, people. 30 years and we're so close to winning it. The hope is palpable. But we have no guarantee. We could totally muck it up. There's no promise But even if that hope is fulfilled and we win, what happens next? A bit of party, sorry? Another season. season. And we go around again and we do it all over again. And it's like, yeah, it's great, but how much of a waste, in a sense, if that's where you put all of your hope when the hope of eternity, which is better and lasts forever, is offered? So, my last point, why is Christmas a good time to hope? Because with the birth of Jesus comes new birth to all who are in him. With the birth of Jesus, there comes new birth to all who are in him. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we read in verse 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, the birth, and why it's good to think about hope here, isn't because Jesus stays a baby, but because he came into the world, his birth brings our new birth, our eternal birth, because he goes on to die for us, to conquer death, so that we can have this new living hope. The living hope there isn't living for a while hope, that is a living eternal hope. Christmas is not a time just to hope for a better tomorrow. Now with the birth of Jesus and his death and his resurrection, we are giving 
we are given a living hope. Let me ask you, where do you spend most of your time hoping? In things that have no promise? That's what the gambler does. That's what someone who wishes they had a better time but they don't know how to get, a, get around doing it. Or do you spend a lot of your time hoping in things you wish you had a promise for? A job that's not materialising. A relationship that hasn't come to fruition. Or a relationship you'd love to see be better. Or a relationship you'd love to be restored. See, sometimes these temporary uh, hopes are good things, aren't they? But they're not right on top. They sit in and under the hope that helps us deal with these. The hope of eternity with God. Where do you spend most of your time hoping? In people with a promise you can trust? Who are they? Do you rest so heavenly on certain people that if they, they stuff up in whatever way, you've got nothing left. If you can just find that one person to depend upon, you'll be okay. What happens if they let you down? Or do you just hope in promises that have a use-by date? I hope to get your version of the guinea pig. The house, the car, the good retirement, the relaxation, the fun, the leisure. No matter how good they are, no, even if they're a blessing from God, if your hope is in them, they're all going to run out. Maybe while you're still living, but certainly when you die. Where do you spend most of your time hoping Because you could spend it hoping in a God whose promise is eternal. There are no question marks left. The death and resurrection paved the way. Jesus stepped into this world, God with us, and dies for you. So you do not have to wonder, are you good enough for God? Because you're not. And he just deals with it. He conquers death so that you aren't trapped by it. He rises so you can rise with him. And he has done all of this. The Christmas tragedy is not that people hope. The tragedy in is that people's hopes all around us are not complete. Some are just destructive hopes. Some are good, but just not the bigger picture. Some are going to end in disappointment. What about you? Are you going to spend all your time, never stop thinking about that grey nickels scoop bat that you wanted as a 12-year-old that you spent every waking moment hoping for and going to see, going to the shops, and I may have done that, and I just obsessed about that bat. I've got it. Imagine if I brought that in now and said, I should have, I brought that bat in now and in its ratty ratty state, it's too too small for me, and said, here is all my hope. But as a 12-year-old, 
that was all my hope. If you've never realised you need to trust in God, death is around the corner, no matter how old you are, but eternal hope can be yours if you trust in him. And as I finish, for those of you who do trust in Jesus, the hope, the eternal hope that he gives, what is, what is it going to look like this year and into the, this Christmas and into the new year for you? Can I encourage you to look at all the hopes in your life and not sell yourself short and spend too much time in them? prioritise eternal hope over everything. Don't compartmentalise like some things haven't got anything to do with it. it. It is over everything in your life. It shapes everything, your eternal hope. Get rid of pointless hope that you obsess about. All of your good earthly hopes, make sure you don't let them distract, distract you. Enjoy them while knowing you don't pin your life on. Amen. Let me pray and then we're going to stand and sing Living Hope. Heavenly Father, help us have clarity this morning of how real and deep and eternal hope is that you give. May no one today Leave thinking, hoping in something else is better. Help us to wrestle with this. Help, help all of us who follow you and trust in you to always come back to prioritising our life and letting it all be shaped by the living hope we have in Jesus. Amen.